Thank you, Pastor. Appreciate it. Praise God. I love your pulpit. It's made for short people. Amen. Uh, just want to again thank you so much. Uh, I know I said it last night, but again tonight on behalf of my wife, uh, Colleen, and my two grandsons, I, I want to say thank you so much for the love offering. Thank you for uh, including me uh, in your finances. Amen. And just a great blessing. First uh, Samuel chapter 22, if you'll uh, go there in the Word of God. First Samuel 22. I am a, uh, a student of World War II. You hear the term, uh, I'm, a, I'm a war buff, you know, but, but to me, I don't know, that almost like dumbs down the, the thought there. It's, I'm a student of World War II. The reason being, there is the earth, there's the globe, there's the world before World War II, and there's the world after World War II. Literally, this event changed the course of, of, of events. In other words, the world was never the same after this. There was a Soviet Union that dominated Eastern Europe after this. Uh, and uh, uh, America came out as a superpower. We were not a superpower. Uh, our army, we had the 17th largest army when Pearl Harbor got bombed. Romania had a bigger army than we did. And after this, we came out of this a superpower with nuclear weapons. But one of the interesting things that came out of World War II is numbers of groups that before the war, they, these people were not acknowledged, they were not honored, and something took place during World War II that brought these groups recognition. I'll give you an example. If I was to say the name the Tuskegee Airmen, the famous Red Tails, that here they was made up of black African Americans that if you know anything about the southern states back then, they lived under racism. They lived under prejudice, uh, very oppressive Tuskegee University, you know, itself even in Alabama, that, that here the, the prejudice that these people had to go through, that had to live with, you know, uh, there was a restaurant, it might say no coloreds allowed or colored entrance, and what it was is you had to come in through the kitchen and you couldn't sit with the white people. Yet here, these men formed the famous Tuskegee Airmen, which became the most decorated fighter squadron in World War II. There's the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, the 442nd RCT, that became the most decorated combat team in World War II. They fought in the European theater. Uh, they were not allowed to fight in the Pacific against the Japanese. And why is that? Because the 44, uh, 442nd RCT was made up of Japanese Americans. That these men who just months prior were behind barbed wire in camps, internment camps, and, and that's a whole other chapter. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a disgraceful chapter in American history. But because if you remember the paranoia after the Japanese bomb, Pearl Harbor, nobody trusted Japanese. And so what they did is they rounded these up by the thousands and put them in internment camps and basically made them prisoners, whether yeah, from children to the elderly, and then in the shortage of manpower as the war progressed in Europe, they said, we need more men, and these men kept volunteering, go send us, we'll go, we'll fight. And, and here was this group of men that had been violated by the government, and yet turned around and said, we'll go, we'll fight, and became the most distinguished, the most decorated 
combat regimental team of the European theater. How about the famous Navajo code talkers that here Admiral Nimitz said, we won the Pacific War because of these men. Because if you know anything about the Navajo uh, uh, language, Dene, it's only recently in the last couple decades has that actually become a written language. For generations, it was unwritten. You learned it from your parents. Your grandparents and parents taught Dene to the children, and they learned to speak it. It's not written. And so these Navajos were recruited by the Marines to be able to speak code to one another and the Japanese, the Japanese could have a, a captured American radio and be listening and it's absolute gibberish to them. I've worked with Navajo Americans in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I mean, the language, and, 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 you know, and what? You, you, you know, and, and the Japanese were like, what in the world? And here Admiral Nimitz says, it was those guys that the Japanese couldn't break the code. There is no code. It's their language. The Red Ball Express. Who are these? These were black Americans that worked in supply. Black Americans were not allowed, except in the Marines, they were not allowed in combat units. They said, no, you, you, you're going to work in supply. You're going to cook. You're going to clean. You're going to work in the supply warehouses. And after the D-Day invasion, these men, when Patton and his third uh, army were sweeping across uh, the Europe, the problem was keeping the supplies going. These guys were moving and units. And the problem was like, how do we get supply? How many know you need bullets? We need gasoline. We need food. And it was the famous Red Ball Express. That was a nickname given to these black Americans in this supply, in this supply unit where 24-7 these trucks are hauling. They've got machine guns mounted on top of the supply trucks fighting their way many times to get uh, supplies to these forward combat units, General Patton made this statement, we could not have won the war without those men in the Red Ball Express. So what do all these guys have in common? The 442nd, the Red Tails, the Red Ball Express, the Navajo cartoon. It came down that up until World War II, they were outcasts. They were outcasts. They were considered lower than citizens, many of them. Lived in prejudice, lived in oppression. If you know anything about uh, the American West, the Navajo Indian, the Native American, suffered just like the black American did. Uh, in many cases, even worse. Some of the atrocities that, that, that you know, uh, were uh, committed and all that. So I don't want to get into that. America is still the greatest place in the world to live, okay? So this isn't an anti-America, okay? Uh, I love my country, amen. And so let's establish that. But the point I'm trying to make is that all these groups, whether the Japanese Americans, the black Americans, the Native Americans, they were considered misfits, they were considered outcasts of society. Then war breaks out, and today we speak of in honor about the Red Tails. Some of the most incredible acts of heroism uh, by these, these men. I came into a church just like this one decades ago, 40-plus years ago. Been talking to your pastor, uh, Pastor Stevens, the last couple of days, kind of sharing my testimony. I came in a broken young man. I'm in the military. My marriage is a disaster. It's 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 it's, it's messed up. Okay, I don't need to go into specifics. 
I had basically broken everything I touched. Okay? And I came into a church like this. My wife, we've separated. I came home one day to discover she's left me. She can't live with me. She's taken my son, and, uh, and I am considering blowing my brains out. I have my service revolver in my hand. I come to church, and I raise my hand in a church service just like this. I'm sitting in the back row. Pastor Mitchell says, is there anybody here you want to give your heart to Jesus? I'm sitting in the back row. And I lift my hands. A broken misfit. Okay? My marriage is a misfit. If I, if, I, if I can use the term. My wife gave her heart to Jesus the next night. It was, it was, I got saved actually at a conference. My wife got saved the next night. I have no idea what God is about to do in my life. I have no concept. I'm just so happy my wife is, is, has come back. You, you know what I mean? I'm happy that, 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 that you know, it's, I gave my heart to Jesus. Have no concept that I'm going to pioneer Coolidge, Arizona, Dallas, Texas, Havelock, North Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida. I'm going to pastor the Colleen Church one day. I'm going to pastor one of the most awesome churches in our, in, in, in our fellowship, the Clarksville, Tennessee Church. All these things. Lansing, Michigan, Fullerton, California. I have no idea. Twice I'm going to be asked to come to Chandler and be an assistant. At that time, I'm just sitting there. I can't even think straight. I'm a misfit. Listen to me carefully. I'm about to read a story about a bunch of misfits that came together and walked into destiny. There's people here that if you will simply give your life to Jesus or surrender your heart, to Jesus. Well, I've prayed, I'm born. Yeah, but are you surrendered? And if you'll link your heart with these people in this room, watch what God does in your life. I want to preach a sermon I called The Band of Brothers, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone, right here, and everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became a captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him, the band of brothers. First thing I want to look at is the fact of who we are. Okay. All right. So if this sermon is going to make any sense to you, we all have to come to an agreement. And that is that we were all misfits before we got saved. Okay. And, and that before we were saved, we were losers. We were outcasts. We were misfits. No hope. We're lost in our sin. It doesn't matter what your education level was. It doesn't matter what your family name was. It doesn't matter what, what your family history or, or, or how much money you had. We were misfits. We were doomed to an eternity in hell without Jesus. Can, you, can we agree on that? Colossians 2.13 says that we were dead in our trespasses, when you who were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Jude, verse 23, uh, he talks about 
snatching them uh, from the flames that some people, we win them to the Lord uh, with compassion and love and mercy. And then there's others. We snatch them from the flames. What does that mean? That means that, that here, we, many of them, here we got saved. We already had a place in hell waiting for us. That when we got saved, when you gave your heart to the Lord, they literally, it was like Jesus snatching you from the flames of hell and now your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay? So we like to tell ourselves we had our act together before we got saved. You know, the unseen t-shirts, uh, you, you know, how many have ever seen that old guy, you know, wearing a t-shirt and it says, uh, the older I get, the better I was. You know, it's like, oh, man, I remember I was the high school football hero. And so, yeah. You sat on the bench, dude. You played three plays the whole season. You know, but, but uh, your memory, oh, no, man, I was the starting quarterback. You were a lineman. But, 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 you know, we like to tell ourselves that, oh, man, my act was so together. You know, it, we, it, you weren't. We were losers, one of the things I can't stand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say it, okay? It is a pet peeve with me. I cannot stand a bragamony. How many know what a bragamony is? You know, we have a testimony night, and then there's that one person, you know, that goes, yeah, man, you know, that I, had, I was so bad when I walked on the sidewalk, the devil stepped aside. You know, it's like, oh, my God. And, you know, there's that guy, you know, that gets up there. I remember years ago in Chandler, there was this Mr. David Lee Roth kind of guy, you know, and you probably don't even know who that is. And he came in with the hair, and he goes, oh, man, yeah, you know, before I got saved, I had a woman under each arm, and I was in a limousine, you know. And, and, and I'm thinking, I remember one time I was sitting with another pastor, and I'm hearing this bragamony, and so the pastor goes, well, if you were so great, why'd you get saved? You know, why, why'd you come in? You're, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, this guy's like, man, I had a woman under each arm, and I was in the limousine. Your mother and sister don't count, and you were driving the limo. <laughs> but in the text, these men are misfits. In the text, they're outcasts. Possibly the rejects of society. So let's talk about the revelation that empowers. Let's talk about the revelation of fellowship. In the text, this portion of scripture is significant. If you're not careful, you kind of, all those that were in debt, all those that were discontented, it says they, they, they came to David and he became a captain over them. You're watching the birth of a fellowship. What just happened in verse number two? A fellowship was born. That these people that came in from everywhere don't know each other and yet here they come in and they linked their lives together for purpose, and a fellowship was born. There's a term. Maybe some of you math nerds, you know, you've used the term, the total sum of its parts, the total sum. Aristotle, okay, one of these Greek philosopher, mathematician guys, years, I mean, I'm talking, I don't know how many years before Christ, this guy, he's the one, he made the statement. He is the one that is credited for, for coining the phrase, the whole is greater than the total sum of its parts. He's, he was a philosopher. He was a mathematician, okay, uh, engineer, all these things. And he says, listen, listen, listen. He's telling his students, the whole is greater than the total sum of its parts. What does that mean? It means that if this brother, that brother, and this brother are working on a project and they're working alone, they are going to produce the work of three men. But if they work together, they're going to produce the work of an extra man. 
simply by working together. Aristotle is saying the whole is greater than the total sum of its parts. That he understood, this is the whole foundation of the theory of synergism. That, 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 that people working in unison, in concert with each other, they produce more. Uh, Henry Ford, people go, Henry Ford invented the car. Henry Ford invented the automobile. No, he didn't. He did not invent it. Henry Ford invented the assembly line. It took days for one guy to build a car. And he's going, what if we start on one end of a building with, and have the different parts along the, the building and have guys, and you're responsible for your little part? I put on the wheels. I put on the headlights. I do the steering. You follow me? He produced the, 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 uh, the assembly line. What it used to do, what it used to take days for one man to do, he could make a car every 20 minutes. Simply by recognizing, no, if the men work in unison, they can accomplish more. Listen to me right here. Listen to me. God has created the kingdom to be incredibly relational. He saved us, yes, to forgive us our sins. Yes, I get it. He saved us, though, to have relationship in the kingdom one with another. Everyone linked. People not like me. People not like you. Different people. This is why churches of all one color are not godly. That's unbiblical. That's unbiblical. You know, and I understand, well, what about if they're in Africa and the church is all black? Okay, I get it. I doubt you're going to find many Navajos, you know, in the Congo. Okay, yes, I, I understand that. But how many know what I'm talking about? Churches of, of all one race or, or, well, maybe you need to find another, another church that's more suited to you. Maybe you need to find Jesus in your church. That God has created the kingdom to be incredibly relational. If you are not building relationships with other people in the congregation, you're totally missing the kingdom of God. You're totally missing it. Well, I just come to church now and then. You're totally missing it. You'll never walk into destiny. You're, 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 you're missing the entire point. You ever stop to wonder the disciples were willing to die for one another? You know, we mock Peter. You know what I mean? I mean, eh, man, in the garden, you know, this guy, yeah, he pulls out a sword. He goes to kill that Roman guy, cuts his ear off. You know, people go, oh, no, he wasn't trying. No, he was aiming for the dude's head. He ducked, and he got his ear cut off. That here is Peter willing to die for the Lord. That's relational. Can I say something else? Well, I'm going to say it anyway. I don't need your permission, but I'm just, I'm just I'm being polite. Okay. When you fellowship at somebody's house, when you invite people to your house for salsa and chips or pizza or whatever, listen, there is far more going on in that setting there is far more going on than salsa and chips. There is far more. If you're a new convert and somebody invites you over to their house, nah, 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 nah. Listen, you'll never survive this. Lone rangers for Jesus never go on to, to, to destiny. Loners never go on. It's those that build relationship. This is why when somebody gets announced at the, the last night of, of conference, you know, they're going, hey, I'm going into Hoboken, New Jersey, you know, and they announce it, and people go, oh, oh, oh. You know, and the women start crying, and they're, they're happy, and they're excited. Oh, my God, they're going, go them. Oh, my friend, my friend. And, it, it's, and this is why I was in Chandler last week, 
And here's going, oh, Pastor Alvarez, oh my gosh, Pastor Alvarez. People from the Spanish service, Pastor, como estas? Que bueno viate. You know, and, and, and they're just, why is that? Because you build relationships in the kingdom. In the text, these are flawed men. They're flawed. I mean, they got issues, man. They're in debt. What does that mean? Miss, you got in over your head. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. They didn't repossess the car. They're coming for your kids. They're going to make slaves out of them, and they're going to work until they pay off your debt. Yet here's these flawed men, these misfits, are going to accomplish incredible exploits for God. How? God got involved. When you link your hearts together, no matter how flawed you are, God gets involved. Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst. Because when you knit your heart with somebody, there's more involved than just a fellowship at your house. God is involved in this thing. Pastor Campbell, for years and years and years, he's always said, life is about purpose. I told somebody the other day, somebody I care about, I was in Chandler, and I, I was talking to this, this man, and I said, you know, you're going to die one day, and you've missed all of life. I have had the joy, the honor, the privilege of preaching all over the world. I've had the joy. I've, I've, I've got friends. I have friends in England, in the Netherlands, in China, Africa, South America, that I've got relationship with these people, and they know me, and we're friends. And, and, and I said, you're going to die one day, and all you've done is sit on your lazy boy and watch TV. And every few minutes, brush off the Cheeto dust off your panza. That, that's your life. You've missed your children's childhood, your marriage. The only reason she even stays is because she's Christian. Any other one probably would have left years ago. I said, but this, this is it. This is all. This is what you have accomplished. What is your greatest accomplishment? Well, I got this great job. Latida. You got a great job. We'll put that on the tombstone. He had a great job, and now he's dead, and the job means absolutely nothing. Life is about purpose. Listen, write this in the inside of the cover of your Bible. I was saved for kingdom purpose. I walked into this church a broken young man. My wife and I, we, 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 we come. She wouldn't even sit with me. She wouldn't even sit with me. She didn't trust me. I, I had hurt her. I'm sitting in the back row. She was over here somewhere. But here we are. We give our lives to Jesus. I have no concept of what he's going to do in my life. I gave my heart to the Lord I gave my heart to kingdom purpose. I started praying, Lord, not my will anymore. Your will. Your will. What would you have me do? What do you want me to do? And 40 plus years later, here I stand before you, blessed of God. If, if the Lord called me home today, I leave a fulfilled man. Blessed me with kids and grandkids. I have two great-granddaughters. And it was God that put my life back together because once I discovered kingdom purpose, 
this is why I'm here. Kingdom purpose. God goes, okay, let's start putting the pieces in place. You weren't saved to come to church now and then. Jesus didn't allow himself to be shredded alive so you could just come to church, pop in now and then, and, oh, that was a great sermon, and leave. He died, yes, for our salvation, but he died for you to discover kingdom purpose. Jesus said, follow me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So this is a great catch. Follow me, link your hearts together, and you'll be catching a lot greater stuff than fish. You'll be fishers of men. And what is that kingdom purpose? Listen to me carefully. Let me talk to you about war. These men went from misfit to mighty because they found their purpose in warfare, okay? Now, those you militia guys, you relax, okay? It's like, yeah, you're like, yeah praise God, I got my gun. Okay. Yeah, no, 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 okay. You ever read the Bible and think how much of it is, has military terminology? I mean, blessed be the Lord who teaches my hands for warfare. Holy cow. He has made me an arrow in his quiver. In the quiver of the Lord, he has hid me. Put on the whole armor of God. Jesus said the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take by force. What's he saying there? He said if you're going to get anything done for the kingdom, you're going to do it by force. It's setting up in a park. Hey, you're going to have a permit here. To, does I wait a permit? Permit. We don't need no stinking permit. It's doing what you can. It's declaring war on the kingdom of hell and rescuing souls like I was talking earlier. Timothy, Paul says, endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man who wars entangles himself in the affairs of this world that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. In other words, soldiers do one thing, fight. They fight. They don't open restaurants. They don't open hot dog stands. They don't have coffee joints or, or anything like that. They do one thing. They train to fight. They train for warfare. Are you with me? And here, Paul takes this thought and he says, welcome to the kingdom of God. Jesus, the kingdom of God suffers violence. It is warlike. There is an enemy, like I said last night, and that enemy has weapons, and they are custom-fitted for you. Hell has declared war on you. He didn't give up the fight just because you got saved. He's told the demons, I want them back. And he's declared war on you, and what Jesus is saying is, you better learn how to fight because the kingdom is violent. In the text, these men are going to become mighty men. They're going to go from misfit to mighty. Mighty men. It doesn't say they were great chefs. Whew, they were foodies, man. They knew how to cook in that kitchen. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say they were gentle souls. It doesn't say that they were all around nice guys. They were swell guys. I don't even know if they use that term anymore, swell. They were swell guys. No, they were David's mighty men. That speaks of warfare. They were warriors who linked their hearts together. So I made the statement the other night, I think. It might have even been that night. I'm reading the book right now, The Band of Brothers. And so this is a story about one particular company, Easy Company, of the 506, so the 101st Airborne Division. And of that division, there's the 506th Regiment. And in that regiment are numerous companies. This is the story about Easy Company. They even made a series, I guess, like an Emmy-winning series or something, okay, uh, about this. But what's interesting about these men, they are from every walk 
of life. They were ones that came from wealthy families. They were guys that were from the, the Bronx section of New York, Chicago. They were good old boys from the South. There was every kind, educated, uneducated. Some, I mean, they were excited. To, they got their first pair of real boots. You know, remember the Depression. And they're like, they couldn't believe it. They're like, oh, my God, they gave us these boots. They gave them to us. But here's these men from every walk of life, and they were made famous in war. In peacetime, they were nobody. It was the war that made them well-known. They are the most decorated company of the 506 Regiment. When I pastored in Clarksville, Tennessee, Fort Campbell is right there. The Screaming Eagle, the 101st Museum, is right there. And I would take every visiting pastor, every visiting evangelist, we would go on base and I would take him into the museum and here are these famous photographs of these men from the 506 Easy Company and, and here they are. They made history by simply linking their hearts together and fighting. Listen to me carefully. The religious spirit today has removed the element of the fight from Christianity. The religious world today. How many of you ever had a religious person? You know, you guys are causing a lot of commotion in the city. How many have ever had a religious person? Well, you know, you're breaking the law by, by preaching in the mall. You know, you're not allowed to preach in the mall. You know, that's against the law. You know, security. Uh, you, know, and so, you know, what kind of Christian are you? You're breaking the law by preaching. And how many have ever, you know, it's like, oh, quiet there. You know, you know be, be quiet. You know, the, the, these people. I mean, I get tired. I'll be honest. Listen, listen to me. I will be the first to admit I'm a grumpy old vet. I'm a grumpy old man. You know, my family tells me, Grandpa, can you stop scowling? I'm not scowling. This is my look. This is a scowl. This is my look. Okay? All right? So learn to identify. Look, scowl, my look. Okay? So I'll be the first to admit, I'm just a grumpy old man. But listen to me. I get so tired of meeting these pansy man buns wearing their Birkenstocks. I get so tired. And, I, I, and, if, if, and of all the places for me to move to, Colorado, the granola-eating man bun Birkenstock wearing capital of America. These guys coming up, you know what I mean, with their Birkenstock and, and, and their man buns, you know, and, and the, the beard with the little rings in it and whatever, you know, they're, and they're like, yeah, you know, Jesus, I love Jesus, you know, because it's, it's him and me. And, and, and it, it, it's, they're making a mockery. I got a picture of a, one of the church. This is what I'm dealing with in Colorado. I have a church, a picture of a church, the Sinsamia House of Worship. There's another one down the street, the Church of the Herb, where they, praise Jesus, the Sinsamia. How many know what Sinsamia is? How many, you probably partook in Sinsamia before you got saved. But, but anyway, the, the, here it is. It's, it's like, oh, no, we, we integrate, you know, these, these plants that the Lord made. And really, go smoke poison ivy. <laughs> go smoke some poison ivy. Do it. Go get a handful of poison oak, dry it, and, and let's see what happens. The Lord made it. But, I mean, they're, they're destroying the spirit of warfare. We were saved for kingdom purpose, and that purpose is warfare. Are you with me? Religion today is destroying the thought of fellowship. 
I mean, when, when you say the word fellowship, let's be honest, when you say the word fellowship, especially when you, because we use it so much, hey, we're having a fellowship. Hey, you want to come over for a fellowship? Oh, that was great fellowship. And so when we think of fellowship, we think of like a coffee table with cookies, you know, and you know, and it's a, a you know, and, and it's your people coming over, hey, get, get some more, come on, hey, bro, come on, walk in, come into the fellowship, get some pizza, man. And, and you know, it's a, that word, koinonia, that's not a cozy word. Koinonia, fellowship, in the Greek, is closer to two men in a foxhole than eating pan dulce, you know, and, 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 and coffee. I must be hungry. <laughs> Are you with me? In the military, it's like, how many have ever heard soldiers talking about, I would die for this man? We fight for each other. We're not fighting for this. We're not fighting for that. We're not fighting. I'm, I'm fighting for my buddy in the foxhole, and he's fighting for me. That that is the thought, koinonia. That we're linked together. You are my brother. You are my sister in the Lord. This is why, like I said the other day, when people start talking smack about brothers and sisters in the Lord, they start talking smack about you. They say, you shut your mouth. You shut your mouth. That's my sister in the Lord. Well, she's flawed, and you're not? Well, he's jacked up. Oh, and you're not, El Perfecto. We're all jacked up. That's why we're here, moron. You know, someone coming into the church and going, my God, well, everybody here is all flawed. Really? That's like walking into the ER in Houston at 1 a.m. on a Saturday and going, well, my God, there's all kinds of sick, injured people in here. Yes! That's why we're here. We're flawed, and we don't want to be. The thought of fellowship It's, it's not about cookies and crackers. And I, although I understand that in that context, yes. But fellowship means more. It means you are my brother and sister in warfare. We're a band of brothers. We are a band of brothers. Let's talk about the ultimate purpose of life. These men found kingdom purpose when they said, let's link our hearts together and make Jesus king. Or excuse me, when they linked their hearts together and said, we're going to make King David king, they found purpose. They went from misfit to mighty. I found kingdom purpose when I came into a church and I linked my heart with everyone in the congregation and me and my wife went from misfit to mighty. I found destiny. Think of the churches. Think of the couples that you have out right now. They're not perfect. They're flawed. They're faulted. This is just like all of us. And yet here they are. Could you imagine what Iowa, Honduras, Mexico, all, all, all these places, they found kingdom purpose when they came together and joined this band of brothers. And here they are. God took them from misfit to mighty. Second Samuel 23. It says, these are the names of the mighty men whom David had. The mighty men. They went from misfit to mighty. Josheb killed 800 men. Eleazar fought Philistines until his hand stuck to the sword and wouldn't let go. Shammah fought for a, a field of lentils against a troop of Philistines. 
How many remember the story of the three men that David, they're fighting outside of Bethlehem, and David goes, oh, that I could have a drink from the well of Bethlehem, that this water must have been fantastic. And he goes, oh, my gosh, oh, if I could have a drink. And these three men heard them, looked at each other, and charged the Philistine line, fought their way to the well at the center of town, brought up a gourd of water and fought their way back and gave it to their pastor. That's fellowship. That's relationship. That David sees this and he's like, my, my God, this is, you did what? And he goes, I, I can't drink this. I'm not worthy of this. And he pours it before God as a drink offering saying, Lord, I honor you with this. That's fellowship. Abishai lifted his spear against 300 men and killed them. Benaiah. How many have read the book? Uh, what is it called? Uh, 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 fighting, fighting, fighting a lion on a snowy, snowy day. How many have fought? How many, fought? How many have read that book? Excellent book if you get a chance to read it. Okay? You, you need to read this book. It's about Benaiah. That here's Benaiah. Bible says he killed two lion-like warriors of Moab. I want to see these dudes. When I get to heaven, I want to see the video. Lion-like warriors? Who were these guys? Well, it doesn't matter. Benaiah killed them both. He killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. It means he chased a lion into its den. On a snowy day, meaning even the conditions are against him. And he's like, oh, you're mine. I'm going to be wearing you before the day's over. Bible says that he fought an Egyptian, and a, a spectacular man. I mean, we're like, who was this dude? A spectacular man. He fought him with a stick. And the Bible says he disarmed the Egyptian and took his spear and killed him with his own spear. That's embarrassing. With a stick. But he was a misfit who found kingdom purpose. I close. How were we able to do what we do? Our fellowship started as a result of the Jesus People Movement. A bunch of hippies, a bunch of misfits. Many of them had, had, had gone to church. They were, you know, trying to search and look for God, you know, and all that. And many of them will tell you stories how they were turned away, going, we don't think this church is right for you. You know, they're barefoot, sandals, beads, long hair, probably smelled. And I, I, we don't think this is the church for you. Well, Pastor Mitchell took them. And they found kingdom purpose. Pastor Campbell, we're talking today, a pool shark. A biker, an alcoholic, drug-addicted biker who used to get into bar fights. He used to hustle pool. Drug dealer gives his heart to Jesus, links his heart with God's people, and look what God has done in his life today because he found purpose in warfare. The red tails the Tuskegee Airmen, the 442nd Regimental Combat Team, the Red Ball Express, the Navajo Code Talkers all found destiny in warfare. It doesn't matter how long you've been saved in this church. It doesn't matter if you gave your heart to Jesus yesterday or last week. If you will surrender your heart and say, God, what is your purpose for me? What is your purpose? If you will link your heart with these people, this band of brothers, watch what God does. This room is not big enough to contain the people that God wants to bring in if you link your heart. That some of you, God may speak to you and go, I want you to learn to play guitar. I want you to learn to play piano.
I want you to join the drama team. I want you to help in the nursery. To me, the ultimate heroes, man, the nursery. I'm like, God bless you. <laughs> but if you'll link your heart one with another and go, how can I be a blessing to this church? It's going to your pastor and saying, I, I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing to this congregation. And if you'll knit your heart, you'll go from misfit to mighty. 40 plus years ago, I had no concept that I would be doing what I'm doing today. None. None. I couldn't believe my wife came back. And, 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 and the whole time God's going, oh, Bob, Colleen, what I'm going to do in your life because we linked our hearts with the band of brothers. Let's bow our heads. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you and praise you. So we get ready to dismiss tonight. I want to give an opportunity. Like I said, I came in to a church just like this, broken. My marriage was it, 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 it was a circus. I had basically ruined my life with selfishness. Came into church, my marriage, my wife, like I said, I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, my wife had left and everything. I came into a church and I gave my heart to Jesus and from that moment on, the Lord's been working in my life. He's never stopped working in my life. Now I wonder how many here tonight, you're in this place right now, you're not saved, you're not born again. Jesus says, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. You'll not see heaven. You'll not see it, let alone come in. You must be born again. Maybe you're here this evening and you're backslidden in your heart. You're away from God. Sin has taken a foothold once again in your life, in your heart. And tonight you want to rededicate your heart to Jesus. No one's looking around. That's you. You want to get saved? I see your hand. God bless you. Anybody else? You'll join this honest heart. You say, Pastor, I want to rededicate my heart to the Lord. Or I want to get saved. Pastor, I've never... I've never, I, listen, I grew up Catholic. I never heard this stuff, but it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You know, I'll be honest. I mean, I went to Catholic church. We never read the Bible. The priest never talked about the Bible. It was all just the ceremony. So when I heard you must be born again, that was so foreign to me. That was so new. But I gave my heart to the Lord and look what the Lord has done. Anybody else you want to give your heart to Jesus? Quickly, quickly, before we go on, we're going to, I see your hand. God bless you. Who joined these that have lifted their hand? You want to give your heart to Jesus. Anybody else? Quickly, quickly. Okay. I want those two. You lifted your hand. I want you to come. I want you to come right now. I want you to come find a place to pray. 